That's only a short reading this morning. It's from the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Thanks, Ron. Good morning again. Um, I've really found the talks that we've been hearing really, really helpful and really challenging. We've thought about loving, um, uh, having a loving life, about loving forgiveness, about last week loving generosity, all these things that shape us as Christian people, all these things that shape us as a Christian community. And so today um, we're looking at loving compassion and that's something that I've really uh, felt um, on my heart and um, yeah, something that I feel like God's really talked to me about and, and taught me about over the last 12 months or so. So I'm really quite, um, quite excited to share with you this morning and quite excited to be talking to th- about, about uh, this this morning. So yeah, let's, let's pray that um, what I say would be helpful and that um, God would good work with us and, and teach us this morning. Uh, let's pray. Loving Father, we do uh, love and thank you for all your goodness that you show us in our lives. Lord, we know that you're gracious with us. Lord, we know that you act out of mercy. Lord, that you don't pay what our sins deserve, but because of Jesus on the cross for us, you've brought us into new life. And Lord, we pray that that life might might be shaped and it might be moulded to look like the life that you created us to live. And Lord, that it would be a life that's recreated into that image of Jesus. So Lord, convict us now by your word. Give us soft hearts. And Lord, by your spirit, give us the power to change. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, early in September 2014 was right at the peak of the, um, the uh, refugee crisis uh, from Syria flowing into Europe. I don't know how much you paid attention to this when it was in our media, Um, But thousands of Syrian refugees were fleeing up through Turkey. They were trying to get to Germany, I think, trying to get anywhere where they could have asylum. They were lined up at train stations. It was a pretty full-on time. Um, The story from that time that really resonated throughout our media was the story of a man called Abdullah Kurdi. Now, this was a man who had twice paid to get he and his family onto a boat and then unsuccessfully found out his boat, um, found his own boat and he attempted to get himself, his wife and his two boys across the Mediterranean Ocean, Mediterranean Sea. The photos of Abdullah leaving the morgue after he'd identified the body of his toddler and the photo of the Turkish soldier carrying the body of the child out of the water where, um, were to say the, 
least really, really quite confronting. I, I have put them on the slides here, but I'm not going to keep them up there. But those images flash through our media, flash through our social media, were put around, and it really confronted us in our Western culture. It really confronted us individually. And here in Australia, it saw our government and our opposition, at least for a moment, completely change the tone of their discussion over asylum seekers and refugees. The government on the back of this decided that we needed to make homes for 12,000 Syrian refugees and the opposition debated that that number should be higher. Now, like with most things in the news cycle, other things happened and by the time Syrian refugees started to arrive in Australia, the initial story and debate had kind of passed on. But at that time, there was a real tone of compassion. You can't look at that picture and not feel something. In our parliament, the complexities of boat arrivals and people smuggling was put aside because of the deep impact of those pictures and the desperateness of that situation. Instead, they focused on how they would help. It was a time to put aside how much it would cost. It wasn't an issue to play politics with. It was a time for compassion. See, compassion is an incredibly strong emotion. It's an emotion that can be felt and it's something that can be clearly seen in a person, in how they act, in how they behave. I can see compassion in someone. I can see compassion in someone's character. See, compassion is really just two words stuck together. It's the word community and the word passion. We talk about community all the time. We're on about community. We see ourselves as a community. We understand that we're on mission to the community at large. And we kind of understand life together. That's community. Passion, though, is a word that I don't think we particularly understand well. It's kind of have, it's got a meaning that's evolved a little bit over time. See, we get passionate about what kind of things? We might be passionate about cars or about sport or we might talk about passion as that thing in an intimate relationship that we have. But somewhat strangely, it's the thing that in Christian uh, terms is used to speak of Jesus' trial uh, and then um, execution. The passion narrative, the passion of the Christ. And the reason that that's how we talk about Jesus dying on the cross for us is because the word passion actually means to suffer. Passion means to suffer. And if we understand that, then we can understand what compassion actually is. Compassion means literally to suffer in community. Or a better way to put it is the idea of suffering alongside somebody else. Suffer with someone. And it's pretty important to understand this. It's really important to understand this because in the New Testament, really when you look at it, it's a bread and butter trait of Christian life. See, it's so much a descriptor of Jesus and what he was like that for someone that's being moulded into the likeness of Jesus, for a follower of Jesus, it's a characteristic that's deeply expected of them. Just look at these few New Testament verses. Paul says, Be kind and compassionate to one another. 
forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Or in Colossians, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And Peter, in his first letter, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. See, compassion isn't just a trait of really good people or really noble people. It's actually something that's deeply rooted in the person of Jesus. When Jesus healed, we know that he had compassion. When Jesus fed the multitudes, you read those stories of feeding the 5,000, we are told that he had compassion on the people. He took what he had and used it to lighten the burden of the people around him. Now what he had was the power of God. I can't go and make food for the starving. You can't go and uh, heal the sick. But the principle is there. See, he's not concerned with the cost to himself. He's motivated by the need that's in front of him. He would act in ways that ease the burden. We sung that song, The Highest Place, before. Well, that comes from Philippians chapter 2. And just before you read that section that describes Jesus who stoops to the lowness of being human so that he might bring us back into relationship with God, it actually tells us to be like-minded, to be the same as Jesus, to model how we live on what Jesus did and said. In this passage, Ron was right, it's just a short passage and it's kind of stuck there in the middle of Matthew and it doesn't really tell us much. It's kind of Matthew's linking up a few stories with this little description of what went on. But we get this big picture and it's a really important picture of how Jesus went about his life. See, from town to town to village to village, he proclaimed the good news He'd been, he's set out, if you go back to Matthew chapter 4, he's out there and he's proclaiming the good news that the kingdom of God is near. And really what he's telling them is that God has had compassion on them. God is coming and he's coming with compassion. He had a message that God has a deep concern for people. And because of God's position of power and authority, he has the means He has the means to act. He has the means to give us what we need. See, I was thinking about some other words that are like compassion but don't quite hit the mark. See, you can't say that God is a God of empathy. He doesn't just simply understand. That kind of sells him a bit short. He's not just a God that's sympathetic. He doesn't just feel sympathy for us. doesn't feel sad for us. See, God is a God of compassion. His empathy and his sympathy causes him to act. He suffers alongside us. Now in this passage that we're looking at, uh, we learn that there's no, there's no specific healing that is mentioned in this passage, just that he healed every disease and sickness that came in front of him. Again, Jesus' compassion God's compassion through Jesus on display. Sometimes I think it's difficult to reconcile and understand why Jesus healed so much. I don't know whether you've ever thought about that before. Um, And yet, 
And when you read the New Testament and you see, you read Jesus' life and you see how often he healed and the way that he could heal and the simplicity of it, sometimes I find it difficult to, to kind of reconcile that and understand the type of healing that Jesus could do and, and kind of question why it's not really, it's not really like that now. Um, as I was thinking about that, I, I kind of came to the conclusion that God probably heals more than we actually realize and more than we're aware of. But if it's the case that in Jesus' ministry, like in this, it says when he saw, sorry, healing every disease and sickness, if you've tracked out the history of, of humanity and there was like a spike on the graph of people being healed in all of history uh, because Jesus was here and he was doing it, I've kind of got a theory as to why that might be the case. And if you think about it in the context of what we know about Jesus, that he is God's acting in compassion toward us, and if we understand that Jesus himself is God and therefore powerful, and God's nature is of great and deep compassion, well, would, it, would Jesus have been able to help himself but to heal the sick that were in front of him? Would he have been able to help himself to heal those who were suffering? I don't think he would have. It's such the nature of who Jesus is that he had compassion. Compassion is such a deep part of the nature of God that it's the dominant way that Jesus saw people. Looking through the Gospels, you see Jesus come into confrontation with the Pharisees who had the word of God but misused it. But pretty much every other group, he expresses compassion towards. And that's why this sweeping statement is so helpful. He looks at the crowds and how does he describe them? Harassed and helpless. Like scattered sheep needing a shepherd. And so the confronting question back on us is, do we see people that way? Is your view of your workmates like that? Your neighbours, your clients, your customers, are you filled with compassion for them? This is pretty complicated. How we view people is kind of tricky. See, sometimes I reckon we look at those people around us and we kind of see them, they look like they've got their life together. What, what do I need to have compassion on them for? That kind of seems a bit irrelevant. Well, sometimes we'll confront people, come across people, and we'll see people's lives in all kinds of mess. And sadly, our instinct, our, our sinfulness, will kind of drive us towards not compassion, but kind of a serves-them-right attitude. We can point out all the things that they've done to get themselves in that situation. Or sometimes the people around us, they just wear on us. Their neediness is so constant and difficult to bear. Do we see them as Jesus sees them? This attitude can be difficult to remember in the midst of all our relationships, but how powerful an attitude is it? See, to have compassion, to have an attitude of compassion can lead us to a really transformed kind of living. See, that's why that verse from Colossians has compassion where it does. Let me read it for you again. Therefore, 
you who are God's chosen people, holy, that is set apart, dearly loved by God, well, clothe yourselves with compassion. See, of all the virtues that are listed there, and he goes down in about verse 18, he says, over all of these put on love. So five or six virtues there. He starts with compassion. It's a pretty vivid picture, isn't it? He says, clothe yourself with it. If you think about what clothing is, that's how you turn up to people. That's how you present yourself. You dress for situations. Yeah, I hope we've moved on from feeling like we've got to have church clothes or whatever and I can get away with being in thongs, but we still get that, don't we? We know that we clothe ourselves. It's what we put out there to people. People notice what you wear. The point is, if we're truly God's people, his loved people, his set-apart holy people, well, what are we to be seen as? Compassionate. Now, I could give examples of epic Christian compassion, and they're out there. They're, they're good stories that motivate us towards compassion, the types of people who go to extraordinary lengths out of compassion for others. And sadly, I could equally give examples now of times where Christians, people in the name of Jesus, have just stuffed this up, where people have been ostracized or alienated by Christians, where they should have been met by compassionate people, where compassion has been lacking and harshness has stood in its place. But I think what would be more helpful is to just more simply encourage you to remember God's own intervention in your life. As God called you into his grace, as God put things around you that caused you to take hold of the gospel for yourself. Or if you can't distinguish that moment, if you're a person that's grown up trusting in God, think of that time where God has led you toward that deeper trust in him. Think in that time, in what ways were you yourself harassed and helpless? In what ways were you like the sheep that's taken off down the paddock? What has God done in you? How was your life shepherdless and now being led by the good shepherd? Well, what Paul tells us here is to clothe ourselves with that compassion. With what God's done in us, that's how we treat other people. Put in front and centre in our minds that those around us, in one way or another, are in need, in need of knowing that for themselves. So back to our passage in Matthew. Look at how Jesus finishes this. He responds to the harassedness and helplessness of the crowds with this statement. He says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus sees people's neediness not as a moment just for sorrow, but as an opportunity to reach them, to harvest them, to take their situation as dire as it is and make it something fruitful. Why does Jesus say that the workers are few? Well, I think he's trying to help them realise two things. See, he's talking, look, look at the end of verse, um, the start of verse 37, he it tells us, then he said to his disciples. So he's gone from 
this big picture stuff to talking to his disciples. This is what people are like. This is what we're going to do about it. He says their task as a disciple. Jesus says this bit to his disciples. See, the crowds were only going to be reached through his people. The means by which God would reach them was through the disciples. If you look over to chapter 10 and you see what happens, it tells us right at the start of chapter 10 that he sends his disciples out. For this next period, his disciples are doing what he's been doing on their own. Not as a group, but out as individuals amongst the people. He doesn't send them in their own strength, though. Ask the Lord of the harvest is what he tells them. He sends them out prayerfully. Ask him for what? Well, he says, workers for the field. See, the pinnacle of compassion is God sending. It's ultimately God sending Jesus for us, and then beyond that, it's sending us as messengers of his grace and mercy sending messages of his great salvation. See, we know that God is a God of compassion, but the way that our world meets that God of compassion is through us as being people of compassion. I love where this passage finishes. There is a massive harvest. It's plentiful. God's gospel will bring people back to God. It happens every day. It's been happening for 2,000 years. His work on the cross really brings forgiveness. It really brings forgiveness to repentant hearts. The Lord of the harvest, it says here, will bring an abundant crop. But Jesus says the workers are few. And we feel stretched. And we can get tired. But that's what he's called us to. So is your involvement in this work motivated by God's compassion or the other way has God's compassion in your life motivated you to be reaching people reaching the people around you see compassion is one of those things that's just completely incompatible with selfishness it needs us to take our eyes off ourselves and realise the needs of the people around us See, the good thing about how we see ourselves on mission is that we understand we're a community. At our church for years and literally years now, we've been reminding ourselves and encouraging ourselves that we're people in community. And in community, we we form relationships with people. We seek to form relationships with people to share the gospel. With all of our lives, we try to seek to share the gospel with people. See, the trap, though, can be thinking that forming a friendship with someone in the community is our job done. That's it. I've got got a few non-Christian contacts and I've kind of done it. But no one's a believer just by association, are they? To be a believer means repenting, believing and accepting. Well, compassion is the motivation for Jesus to send us with this message. So I think it stands to reason that it's the way that we're going to keep sharing it. And it starts with a change in our attitude, doesn't it? Compassion, to suffer in community, to share in the lives of those around us. Not having pity or sympathy or empathy. And just stopping there.
but compassion. Getting alongside people. Because that's the God that we serve. In these last few weeks, we've talked about love, forgiveness, generosity, and now compassion. These are virtues that really lay at the heart of the new life in Jesus. These are what Christian communities look like. Because these are at the heart of God's character. This is God's nature. Loving, forgiving, generous and compassionate. Through Jesus, we know the God of compassion. We've known his compassion in our lives. So as his dearly loved children, let me give you this encouragement. Let's love showing compassion on people. Let's be clothed in it in all our life and in every possible way. And let's pray now for the great God of compassion to have that same compassion for those around us. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I give you great thanks and praise for your work in our lives, Lord. I pray that that work might never, um, never cease. Lord, that you would continue to change us and encourage us, Lord. We pray that our attitudes would be moulded by you and not by the things around us, not by our experiences. Loving Father, we ask that our character, Lord, would be filled with those virtues, those good things that are from your character, Lord, that come to work in our lives. Can I just give everyone a moment to thank God for his compassion in their life? And now just take a moment in prayer to ask for forgiveness where you haven't had compassion and you know that you should have. And now whether it's really specific or more general, ask God to give you compassion. Our loving Father, we just do thank and praise you that you hear us and, Lord, that you are transforming us, Lord, that you're moulding us and shaping us. And, Lord, we ask that by your Spirit you would continue to empower us to lead the lives that you have set for us to lead. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.